Welcome to Church Online. If you are joining us live, then uh, we are delighted that you have taken time this weekend to do that. If you're listening or watching sometime in the week, that's fantastic too. This is what's going to happen over the next little while. Uh, we're going to join our Rutland Campus 33 in some worship in just a few minutes. I'm very excited that we're able to do that every week. And then we're going to have a message, got our family news, and of course, you've got an opportunity to give to the work of Willow Park Church that makes this possible. So we've got lots of different ways that you can get involved. But our prayer is that this weekend and this week or any time you're watching this, that you'll really feel and sense the presence of God and also hear from God. And as we jump into the word, we really want to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So bless you for joining us. And we pray that you have a wonderful time in the presence of God. Take care. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That's what we get to do here in this place. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Let's stand together and joyfully sing and celebrate our great God together. Oh 
You're the well that never runs dry. 
from the bridge and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Where the Spirit leads as I'm following. depend on you for the victories still in front of me I depend on you Lord I depend on you you're the way the truth and the life you're the way in the night be my own my treasure my I depend on you. I 
depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. We say, I depend on you. I depend on you. In every season, I depend on you. in our life right now where we need you, where we need your guidance, we need your blessing, we need your healing. We just ask even right now as we're gathered as your people in your church, would you pour out your spirit on us? We humbly ask, would you fill us anew with your spirit so that we can abide with you and in you? Lord, would you bring hope where there is lost hope? Would you bring healing where there is brokenness? Even physical healing where there is hurt in our bodies, Lord Jesus. We just humble ourselves before you. Last week we uh, learned a new song. It's one of David's psalms out of Psalm 130. And it's uh, a prayer of his, a prayer of worship and asking of the Lord that while he was still in captivity, that God would be faithful to his promises. And so wherever you are this morning, let's sing that prayer together. Sing out of the dead. Out of the depths I cry to you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord Cry now, Lord Were you to count my sinful ways? How could I come before your throne? 
Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. So I will wait for you. I will wait for you on your word. I will rely and I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in His power to save. Completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. Yes, I will wait for you, I will wait for you on your word. I will rely, I will. is satisfied now he has come to make a way and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice so i will wait for you i will wait for you through the storm and through the Surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. I will wait for you, I will wait for you through the storm and through the night. Yes, I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my
I'm one of the associate pastors here at the South, and here's your family news for this week. First of all, if you're new here, welcome. We'd love to get to know you better, so please be sure to fill out one of our Connect cards or scan the QR code in front of you and fill it out online. Then after the service, stop by our Connect desk to pick up your nifty little gifty here. It's full of fun things just to say a big thank you to you. Here at Willow Park, we have a great group of men and women on our board of elders who do so much to help lead our church. At this time, we're currently looking to fill two vacant positions on the board. If you'd like to nominate someone for this role, please visit our website to fill out an elder nomination form. Our senior high winter retreat for youth in grades 9 to 12 is happening at Pines Bible Camp on February 18th to the 20th. This is going to be an amazing time for our youth, so be sure to sign them up today at cahoots.ca arctic. Our online alpha course is starting tomorrow night, and if you are wanting to learn more about God and explore the deeper questions of life, then this seven-week course is perfect for you. Alpha will be happening online every Monday night at 7 p.m. and will be hosted by Pastor Phil, Pastor Jordan, and Pastor Curtis. Alpha is also a great thing to invite your friends to attend with you, and it's not too late to register, so sign up today on our website. The marriage course is also starting up this week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. The marriage course is designed to help married couples invest in their relationship and build a strong marriage. Whether you've been married for a long time or you're just newlyweds, this free online course is for every couple. Sign up today, it's going to be great. And that's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. So remain standing. Uh, my name's Aaron, and today we'll be reading from 1 Samuel 17, 41 to 50. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. That means he didn't like him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone 
and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Thank you. This is awkward. Morning, everyone. All right. Let me get. <laughs> We're usually so slick around here, right? Good morning, everyone. My name's Glenn. Um, if this is your first time here, then I just want to second what Nick has already said. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm one of the pastors at Willow Park Church, and it is my joy to bring you the Word of God. Uh, for those of you kind of weird, weirded out by why we stand up when we read the Scripture. Um, it's like, uh, we kind of figured out a few months ago that we stand for the national anthem, we stand to honor people, we stand to, that's part of our tradition as people, we should stand for the word of God, because this is the greatest gift known to mankind, and so we just stand in honor of that, and, uh, and thank you, by the way, so many of you actually made comment uh, about how much you appreciate it, like, made a bean line, never mind the sermon, sermon was fine, but the standing for the scripture, that was just such a blessing. No, seriously, it's just been good. Thank you so much, and, uh, and that's why we do that. Before I get into the uh, passage of scripture, 1 Samuel 17, you can turn there. I just want to show you a couple of pictures from yesterday. Uh, oh, that's, oh no, that looks, doesn't look, they're not really that blurry in real life, but this was our big work day yesterday. We maybe had, I don't know, 25 people, I mean, I guess. I don't think there's too much exaggeration there. Um, they came in and just helped, and we just hit this place so hard. Um, we, uh, we shifted Sarah and the book team. We got so many books. <laughs> uh, if you're in the need for some good old-fashioned Amish romance novels, we have you covered, my friend. You can come on March 5th, and you can buy those. Uh, and I actually looked on Amazon to see how much the average was for hardback, like 30 bucks. We'll give it to you 25, not a problem. So um, I should have put the picture of Lyndon. Lyndon grabbed one and ran with it. I chased him down. He paid. Uh, there's Lyndon and Sam. And uh, this is one of the containers. This is the, one of the containers going back to 33 that's half full. Peter Jackson was the gatekeeper and uh, was doing a great job. The other, oh, that's our moving sale room. Oh, I know. It's exciting stuff. Right in that classroom there, we're having a moving sale on March 5th. We're going to need some help to price all that up between now and then. So Jenny will be in touch. Uh, there is some real goodies buried in there. There may even be an odd volunteer or something buried in there. Who knows? Uh, but it's, uh, it's jam-packed, and we are ready. We're going to tell the community about it. And, you know, it's just an opportunity even to just connect with community. This is not a closing down sale. This is just a renovation sale. We are not done in the mission area or in Kelowna, and uh, so we got lots of stuff. It was quite funny. Um, I was going through it with a slightly worried look on my face going, I don't know whether we should be selling this, but um, I found the photocopier that we lease in the middle of the movie sale room, <laughs> so we won't be selling that because that would be an awkward conversation. 
Um, but uh, it was a great day yesterday. Very, very grateful. Oh, there's some of the chairs. That's exciting. So we have got some of the chairs out, but there's a lot of work to do, but very grateful. Thank you for those of you who were able to come out. And for those of you who didn't, there are going to be more opportunities. Uh, it'll be good to see you. Okay, this morning's message, if I was going to title it, and I don't often give titles to my messages, um, it's called The Man in Between, The Man in Between, David and Goliath, probably one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, David and Goliath, that classic uh, story of the underdog taking on the, the giant, and so I guess a really good question to start would be this, what are the giants in your life right now? What are the challenges in your life? You know, it might be a relationship that you can just see is dying between, you know, a spouse or a child or a brother or a friend. It might be a difficult child at home. It might be a sickness. It might be a problem at work. David and Goliath is often used as an example of how we as Christians should overcome challenges as to, you know, what, what can I learn from this? Well, Goliath represents that intimidating challenge. David represents the way that we should face that challenge with confidence and boldness. And so what we get out of this message is be like David. Be like David. Get those stones out. Get your sling ready. Polish those stones. Rugged, good-looking, beautiful eyes. Let's be like David. Grab your skill stones and run at your challenges, people. Right? (laughs) The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Just do it. Fear the fear and do it anyway. You be you. Maybe stand in front of the mirror on a Monday morning and go, you're powerful. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're rugged. You've got great eyes. You can do this. Roger Crawford, the tennis player, said, being challenged in life is inevitable, but being defeated is optional. Thanks, Rog. I feel slightly sick, actually, after telling you all those cliched kind of comments and, you know, because really, see, that interpretation of David is shallow at best and deceitful at worst. That is not the interpretation of David. Now, I said to you last week that you can look at the stories of David and, yes, you can apply those stories to your life. Nothing wrong with that. But if that overshadows what the actual stories are about, which is Jesus, then we are missing the interpretation. Yes, there are things we can learn, but ultimately this story points to Jesus. And these are the cliches that we hear in our culture, but they're not the cliches you read anywhere in the Bible. Are there statements about being courageous? Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to stand here and say that we should not be courageous. But what is really, really important is that we interpret this scripture correctly because true courage will come from interpreting it correctly rather than just kind of drumming ourselves up with really poor motivational quotes. There's a more biblical, Jesus-centered way to approach this passage. And my hope and prayer is this morning you will leave here feeling like you can walk through walls, not because you are it, but because Jesus is it that you actually are able to face the challenges and the giants in your life in a way that you're actually equipped to face them rather than relying on your own abilities and your own prowess and your own rugged good looks and beautiful eyes. So let's jump in. I've got a few points. If you are a note taker, then please take some notes. Uh, This is going to go online. Welcome to everybody online. Sorry I didn't say hello right at the beginning. We do have a lot of people uh, from Willow Park Church joining us online, and we love you. We miss you. Looking forward to seeing you. Um, But if you are taking notes, then start writing quickly. 
um, or take photographs as we go, because uh, this would be a good one to dwell on in your own time. So where are we at? The first thing I want you to look at is, is that as we look at this passage, there are different worldviews with different lenses, if you like, that you can place on. I talked about this last week. You can place the lens of how can I learn from this, from this passage, this pair of glasses. Or you can put on how, what does this tell me about Jesus pair of glasses. Today, I've kind of got three different glasses I want you to grab. The first one is we're going to look at Goliath and see how Goliath represents the secular worldview. This is our kind of agnostic, at best, atheist worldview, Goliath. David is still with the sheep, as we heard last week. He is waiting well. He's waiting after having been anointed by God for the time that he will be king. King Saul is still on the throne, and at this present moment in chapter 17, he's actually in his tent. That is significant. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And every morning for 40 days, the scripture tells us in chapter 17 that Goliath, this massive man and his armor bearer, would come in the middle of a valley. So just picture it. There's two sides of the valley, and you've got the valley where the Israelites are, and then you have the flat part in the middle. Apparently, history tells us this was a huge valley. And then Goliath would come into the center, and he would challenge the Israelites. You know the story. Every morning to come and send a champion to for to fight Goliath. And we read just now, thank you, Aaron, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. The literal translation for the word champion, which is where I get the title of this sermon, is the man between. The man between. Can we all say that? The man between. Between. I want you to get that into your mind. The man between. That is the literal translation of what the word champion means. It was a legal position that an army would send a champion representing the army, would go and he would represent the rest of the nation in that moment. One man representing the man between, that if he won, the whole nation won. If he lost, the whole nation lost. Goliath says, if your champion wins, we become your prisoners. If I kill him, you become our prisoners. This is Goliath laying down the rules because it was a legal moment. This wasn't just an idea he drummed up. This was an actual legal moment. So one man's defeat or victory is placed or imputed upon their respective armies. One man victory, one man's loss, imputed, placed upon the rest of the nation. This is very, very important you get this in your mind. Because as soon as you start seeing it through this lens, you start seeing that, it, that actually we've been looking at it perhaps wrong as we interpret this passage uh, in the past. Think of it like a lawyer entering into a courtroom. That lawyer in that moment, if the lawyer wins the argument, you, if the lawyer is representing you, win. If that lawyer loses the argument, you lose the argument. It's exactly the same legal moment that we're experiencing here in this passage. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 11, that's very important. Because what it does is it causes us to ask the question, why? Why are they so afraid? Why don't they just find themselves a champion? Well, of course, we know, as you look at history, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Guess who should have been fighting Goliath? But actually, King Saul wasn't fighting the Goliath. He was sat in his tent, 
dismayed and terrified like the rest of the nations. A Jewish expert in, um, in, in, in ancient Israel Hebrew history tells us actually the interpretation of this passage is that Goliath is a massive individual. And there's also been all sorts of different interpretations, but it's kind of been landed now by biblical scholars. He was probably around about eight foot tall. And as I said last week, that was enormous. Saul was huge. This guy just overshadowed Saul in every respect. Not only that, the detail that the passage goes into shows us that they wanted to make sure that we understood not only how big Goliath was, but how well equipped he was. So Robert Alter, this, uh, the, the Jewish expert I just referenced, said this. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weigh, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and, on a, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like the weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 20 pounds. That's not the whole staff. That's just the head of the staff. 20 pound. This was an enormous individual. But I want you to see something. Let's put our world secular lens on for a second. This is what Goliath really embodies. What Goliath embodies is his huge confidence and the ability to control his own destiny. It's the secular worldview. He strides out into the middle of the valley saying, I can do this. Just go for it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. You can do it. Even though the odds are stacked against me, and even though in that moment they weren't, he had everything that he needed in his own mind to defeat life. He had everything he needed in his own mind to approach this challenge with confidence and ability. He knew his power and his boldness and his heroism comes from his own ability, who he was, what he had, his education, his previous accomplishments, his self-esteem, and how he looked. Does that sound familiar, anyone? Where does our culture, where does our society get all their confidence from? Who we are, what we've done, our education, or in other words, our smarts, our previous accomplishments, our self-esteem, and how we looked. You see, Goliath is this secular worldview. It's just do it, feel the fear, you be you, you're powerful, you can do this. There was nothing in his mind that made him doubt his own ability. So if we go back, remember Roger, being challenged in life is inevitable, being defeated is optional. That's absolutely what Goliath thought in that moment. Absolutely. He was so confident in his own ability. The challenge with this worldview is when it doesn't work. And there are people sat in this room that for you, this worldview doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many motivational posters you put on your office or on your wall or on your mug or anywhere around your house. It doesn't matter how much self-help you read. It doesn't matter what you fill your mind and your heart and your energies with, believing that you can do it because that's what the culture tells you. Life has an ability to quickly remind us that actually this doesn't work. I remember almost 20 years ago, Sarah and I were going through the process of applying for a permanent residency and we were living just outside Vancouver at the time, and so we were having all sorts of, uh, uh, of tests, and um, it was much easier then than what it is now, my understanding, but I do remember going to have a lung 
x-ray because they wanted to make sure that, that as a British family coming into Canada that we weren't bringing in any hereditary diseases that would cause uh, the Canadian's uh, government to pay for our treatment, which, you know, okay, fair enough. So you go to the x-ray, I had my, my chest x-rayed and forgot all about it. A few weeks later, I got contacted by, the doc, uh, by a specialist, a lung and heart specialist, and he said, we'd like you to come in for some more tests. My first thought was, well, obviously something went wrong in the, in the x-ray, and you know, it was all part of the PR process. But in having conversations with him, it actually had nothing to do with the PR process. He says, we found a lump. Life caves in, right? I'm not going to ask you by show of hands how many of you have had that conversation with a doctor. Thanks, Roger. Where does that fit in that moment? Where does that secular worldview fit in that moment? Where is that helpful? Because that challenge in life was inevitable. Whatever that challenge might look like. It might be a person, it could be a situation, it could be a sickness, it could be anything at all. But in that moment, regardless of your age, you feel defeated. And no matter how much you drum up positivity, you feel crushed. So we went through a process of different MRIs, and sure enough, they found a lump just underneath my rib cage, pressing up against my heart about the size of my fist. Devastating. I was 30 years old, two little ones, asking the question, what now? What now? So they checked me, and they said, well, you're not showing any other symptoms, and, and I could, it's a longer story, which I, I, I won't... Uh, won't go into, but they, 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 sh they said, you're not showing any more symptoms, There's, your blood work seems to be fine, everything seems to be okay, apart from this extra fist you have in your chest. So they said, what we want to do is we're just going to leave it for a little while and see what comes, and we're going to book you into another MRI. How many of you had an MRI? Okay, a lot of you. They're fun, aren't they? Especially when you have to be under there for like an hour and a half with your arms above your head, like I was, and like my, I was just screaming in pain. Who would know that keeping your arms above your head for that long would actually hurt? It hurts. And I'm sure some of you have had a lot worse. We had an MRI, an MRI, and we went back, and, and still my symptoms, we were praying. But you know, I did honestly, and I don't say this as some sort of poster child of faith, I was worried. You know, you start thinking, okay, should I be making videos for my kids? Am I going to see my daughter? graduate, get married, whatever? Am I going to see my son? Like, these are the things going through your mind, and so many of you have experienced that. Where does Roger's thought help? I don't mean to be slamming Roger. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But this is the worldview. Where does this help? Where does it help? Just do it. I can't. Just go for it. Where? Third MRI. I went back into the doctor's office, Sarah was there, and he showed me the, you know how they can, they can do it, it's kind of, it slices through your body, it's so cool to watch on the video, and you're like, there's you, your heart gets, starts small, and it gets big, and then it reduces, it's kind of cool as the camera goes through your body, and he said, there's the lump, and you could see it emerge, it went, kind of started small, and it merges, and then it went small again on the, on the MI video, he said, let me show you this video, and he went through this video, and I went, well, where's the lump, and he went, yeah, we don't know, it's gone. It's just gone. I went, does that mean I had a miracle? And the doctor went, well, in the doctor's world, we don't like to call miracles. These things happen, you know, and he really backtracked, but he said it with a bit of a twinkle in his eye. He was a very, very nice guy. The lump had just gone. 
Now, I'd love to tell you that I went to a healing crusade. Somebody grabbed me by the head, forced the power of Jesus into me. I fell down. Somebody put a nice linen cloth over my legs. How many of you remember them? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. None of that happened. I had no moment. I had no, I love to go, oh, Sarah prayed for me. I felt the rush of the spirit through me. Nothing. Nothing. I still to this day don't know. I have no idea. But what I know is in those moments of the in-between, I needed a man in between. I needed a hero in between. Not me, because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. This is, this is kind of insulting. It's certainly defeating, because when you're not feeling heroic, through, a few things can happen. If you're not actually able to see it through and things go wrong, then you can actually get bitter about yourself because you're not doing what everybody else seems to be able to do, so you feel bad about yourself. Or you feel bad towards somebody else, that you feel bitter towards somebody else's failing because of what is happening in your life. And, and ironically, in an agnostic and more atheistic culture, people blame the God who they don't believe in, which always fascinates me. People really hate God, and yet at the same time profess they don't believe in him. There's a better way than the Goliath secular worldview. David, the religious worldview. David is probably about 16 or 17 years old. Let the 16 and 17-year-olds in the room let that soak in. God is no respecter of age. David was 16 to 17 year olds now and infuriated Goliath. I love it. Let's read. Oh, there you go. You can't quite see at the top. And when the Philistine uh, looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Isn't it amazing how many times this come up? How good looking David is? This dude. Like when we get to heaven, I don't even know whether I want to talk to David. I already feel bitter towards him. Sorry, David. Uh, And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. In other words, I'm powerful. I'm modern. Have you seen the size of me? Look at my equipment. Look at my history. Look at my education. Look at where I've come from. You have nothing. You are nothing. And I'm going to feed you to the birds because you will be nothing. That's what Goliath said in this passage right here. And is that not exactly the worldview or the secular worldview towards religion? Look at what I have. Religion's for the weak. There's a disdain. There's a mockery. It's belittling. Now, I think more than ever. I think now more than five years ago, there's a disdain. Because even the word evangelical now has been stolen out of our grasps. I thought up until this morning that it was an American thing, that Americans viewpoint evangelical as a political standpoint. I was kind of accepting of that. Fine, that's okay for America. Until I read this morning that evangelical Christians are actually now being aligned in Canada towards a political standpoint. And that just made me dismay. It's not a biblical word in its essence, although it's rooted in the word uh, uh, for gospel good news. But people look at Christianity with disdain and mockery and belittling. They say, I've got the answers. The secular worldview has got the answers. You're nothing. You will be nothing. You have nothing. You are nothing. You might even be feeling this on a very micro level where you work. You are nothing. You have nothing. You will be nothing. The classic underdog story is taking shape, right? Love it. Then David said to the Philistine, or Philistine, I apparently heard is how Canadians say. Thank you, Aaron, for correcting me there. 
It should be Philistine. David said to the Philistine, uh, you, <laughs> I won't be able to keep it up. I might as well just give up straight away. You, um, Philistine said to his Philistine, you come to me with a, sword and, uh, with, with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I love his teenage, like, oh, it's fantastic. And I will give you the dead bodies. He just carries on. He's on a roll. I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air. I see your birds of the air, comment Philistine Goliath, and I raise you, because it's not just going to be you I'm going to feed to the birds of the air, it's going to be all your army as well. And the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not by the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David drops his sling and leaves. It's that beautiful moment. Okay, good. All right, everyone can relax. We're David, right? We're David. With his hidden slingshot, because Goliath likely wouldn't even have been able to see it. His smooth stones, his rugged good looks, and his beautiful eyes. Yep, I picked David. That's me. This is the better way. You see, unlike secular Goliath, David isn't rely on, reliant on who he is, what he has, his previous accomplishments, his self-esteem, and his good looks. Or is he? Is he not in some way reliant on those things? Yeah, he's got a significant faith, and it's an important faith. But this is where we start seeing the interpretation of David and Goliath shifting from what might have been your traditional interpretation. Because as Christians, we would be happy to say, yes, I am David. And at David, it is very best. I'm very comfortable with taking that position. But if we make David... Us, then we're actually adopting a religious worldview. We can end up in exactly the same precarious position as Goliath. But now we get really bitter at God when God doesn't pull through. See, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm obeying the Bible. I'm trying to live a good life. And I know, therefore, nothing bad will happen to me. It's a religious worldview that if I do this, this, and this, then God will do this, this, and this. And every religion falls, apart from Christianity, into this bracket. That if I do this in a certain way at a certain time, then God will do this in a certain way at a certain time. And there's this kind of transactional viewpoint that if I help keep up my side of the bargain, God will keep up with his side of the bargain. But if God doesn't keep up with his side of the bargain, then I must have done something wrong. I must have said something, done something, I need to try harder, I need to be better, I need to improve myself. And it's exactly the same position because what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in control in a religious way rather than a secular way. We're saying, look, it's all down to me again. It's the religious worldview. How many of you, let me ask, let's just be honest with one another just for a second. How many of you have reached a stage in your marriage uh, if you are married, and those of you who are not married, this may happen to you one day. Those of you who have been married just a little while, then this likely will happen to you when kids come and certainly after. That when date night comes, uh, you do have special date nights, and, and they're wonderful and they're brilliant, and, you know, but sometimes it means you have to get babysitters in or, or whatever. And so what you end up doing is say, well, let's go on an errand together. Let's go to Costco together. And this kind of becomes date night. 
Well, for no real reason at all, yesterday, Sarah and I were running around. We had this, and we had some other stuff to do. We need to go and do some errands. And on the way back, I said, you know, I really need to wash my car. I really need to wash my car. Now, my lovely wife has this Olympic-level standard skill of being able to go to the car wash in the mission and wash a car with like a buck 50. Like, she races around this thing. It's, it's really impressive. Which, if you keep your car to a standard of health and cleanliness, which is pretty good, then that works. But then there's my car. And as I've said before, my car's not dirty. It's experienced. And if Sarah did a buck fifty clean on this car yesterday, and you could actually see the swirls, and you know, I appreciated her effort, and, and I didn't ask her to do it, so I said, you know what, let's go and get a proper car wash, we'll go through the car wash. This was date night now, I said, look, it'll be great, it'll be fun. Sarah has vowed never to go into a car wash, because about ten years ago, uh, one of them malfunctioned, and got a stuck, and scraped the whole side of the car down, the whole of the sermon illustration for another day. So she said not doing car washes. I said, it'll be great. Let's go to the new one on Spore. Look at this. All the lights and lasers. Have you seen this place? It's amazing. So we're driving. Look at it. What is not to like? There's everything about this appeals. So I spent my $57 getting it. No, it wasn't that much, but certainly wasn't a buck 50. And we're moving into this car. I'm excited. It doesn't take much. I'm like, this is going to be great. Sarah's like, I don't like this. So we move into the car wash, and there's this guy. He might be watching, so I'm not going to say anything. There was, there was a character guiding us in. That's all I'm going to say. So we were giggling a little bit about that. Uh, he had full-on mirror kind of aviator sunglasses on. It was, it was great. And um, so we're moving in, and we're going through, and it's quite the experience. How many of you have been through this? This is an image you are used to. Okay, so you go through the car wash, and we're, like, we're having a laugh, and I started giggling, going, can you imagine if I'd left the sunroof open? <laughs> I hadn't, don't worry. But what I had done is I'd left the back window. Sli- you couldn't even see that it was open, could you? So Sarah was getting a wet, posterior. She was like, oh, what's this? And she turned around, but ah! So I'm like pulling the window up really, really quick because this is what it was looked like. We were laughing so hard. And, uh, and then later on, we, we stopped and I said, oh, just leave it. Sarah wasn't going to leave it. I just thought it'd drive by itself. But I'm sorry if this offends all of you car enthusiasts. I can see Dave McLean twisting in his chair as I'm saying it. Sarah jumps out. She dries it off. I would have been willing to do it, but later. And it actually, it was, it's really nice and clean inside. It's great. I would never have known that this window was cracked open. What I didn't do is I didn't check as I went through. I should have done that. Rookie mistake because we haven't been through one in years. That's my excuse. We laughed about it. But the reality is this. We face this with utmost confidence. This is going to be great. And when the thunder starts, and that's what it feels like, and the shuddering starts, and that's what it feels like, and the, the rain and everything else starts battering your life, you might feel and look awesome, except you've actually not got all the little cracks covered. Everybody else thinks it's all good. Even the driver thinks, I'm fine. But actually, when it starts, you actually start seeing, I'm not actually equipped to go through this. There are things that we must do as Christians, things we're called to do. But I tell you, and I said this last week, there is nothing you can do that's going to God love you more. He loves you that he loves you. He loves you. 
And it's on the basis of that that we want to do the right thing, not in order to get him to love us. So yes, there are things we should do, but if you're looking at your life in such a way that you're trying to get God to impress you so you can beat the giant, it's not going to happen. So there's another way. I left that gap. There's another character in the story narrative that I actually think I'm far happier being. And it might surprise you who it is. It's not Goliath. It's not David. Actually, the better place for us to be might cause you to go, "Mm?" a little bit, just to start. So bear with me. The Jesus worldview, the gospel worldview, can actually be found in the Israelites on the hill. They're the ones who were afraid. They're the ones who didn't have what it takes. They're the ones that recognized their own weakness. They're the ones that had come to the end of themselves in the light of the challenge that they were facing. They're the ones that looked at the challenge and went, I can't do this. They're the ones that looked at the giant, whatever your giant might be, and say, it's too much. And what David doesn't do when he first comes into the camp, he doesn't give them a pet talk. He doesn't give them a motivational poster to slap on the side of their tent. He doesn't give them a self-help seminar. He doesn't give them a new stretch to do in yoga. He's not going to give them a new quick fix or a new devotion or a new church to go to. Hey, this church is not making you feel good. Maybe you should go to this other one. He doesn't give them a new podcast or a new book, my Christian friend. None of these things. What actually came into the camp... What God gave them was a champion, a hero, a man in between. For us, he brought us Jesus. So do you remember what pop quiz? Do you remember what champion means? The man in between. That's literally what champion means. And David looked weak. Their champion looked weak. But he was more powerful than anyone could ever conceive. Exactly the same with Jesus. The deliverer strode into the camp that morning to bring them life and freedom, and they looked past him. It can't be this way. There must be another way that we can face this giant, because it can't be David. And we all knew, and that camp knew, that it should be Saul. You see, Saul would have made sense. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul came from the right place, had the right look, had the education, had all those things, just like Goliath. And yet Saul wasn't stepping up because God had a better plan. He had a little kid from the back end of nowhere step up, a place called Bethlehem. And suddenly the stories aligned, do they not? See, Jesus walks into our camp, not looking like a champion that we think we need. We look at everything else in our life going, no, if we can just get this lined up, then I can meet my challenge. But Jesus walks in from the back end of nowhere, a place called Bethlehem, just like David. And then in Hebrews 11, we read this. He gave them a, sorry, the man, oh gosh, I'm missing somebody. Remember David in Hebrews 11, it says, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on David. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to what the scriptures themselves talk about when they refer to Jesus. This classic Christian Christmas verse. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Friends, that actual translation is God Hero. Jesus was our hero, everlasting father, prince of peace in Isaiah 9, 6. The mighty one, Psalm 50, heroic one, 
God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. Jesus is our hero walking into the camp of our life saying there's a better way. You see, David didn't come with instructions on how to live and fight. He just came with a bit of a determination and a mission of God on his shoulders, just like Jesus. He didn't come to say, this is how you save yourself. This is how you beat Goliath. This is why it's so tragic when people take Christianity and add it to their life as some kind of addendum, thinking, okay, I'll bring in Christianity. Maybe it'll help me sort these periphery areas of my life out while I get on with my thing. That is an absolute travesty, potentially blasphemous, to think that the God hero could be added to our life for our own convenience. Jesus comes into the camp, starts tipping over chairs and tables in the temple of our heart and saying, no, there's a better way. Jesus doesn't get added to anybody Jesus doesn't come with do's and don'ts and morals. He comes with a solution. He comes with a rescue plan. He says this, I will fight. I will take on the giant. You stay here and watch. You stay where you are as a sinner and watch what I will do for you. When David won, the Israelites followed, basking in his victory. When Jesus won, the call is for us to follow and we can bask in his victory. I'm not fighting that giant. Are you kidding me? I'm an idiot. No amen to that, praise the Lord. I'm not fighting that giant. I have no ability. I'm the Israelites saying, Lord, I can't do this. And now my character and personality wants to run into the valley and hit the challenge head on. That's just how I'm wired. But the times I've done that to fall flat on my back going, okay, now it's worse should have just kept my gob shut, stay on the valley and trust my champion. So David didn't come with do's and don'ts and this is instructions on how to fight. David was a hero who came in weakness and was unexpected. Jesus was a hero who came in weakness and was unexpected. He came from the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong mother, with the wrong background with the wrong heritage, the wrong education, everything was wrong about him. He needed to be the Messiah that the Israelites were waiting for who came riding in a, an, on a horse, not on a donkey, to take down the political foes. They were looking for the secular Goliath. Goliath. And what they got was a David. But oh, so much more than David. He even had the wrong equipment, Jesus. David turned up with a bunch of sandwiches. Please don't tell me that God is not able to use you. He can't literally read it. Came with some cheese sandwiches. That's like in Britain we call them cheese butties. I got my cheese butties. Where's Goliath? Are you kidding me? This is madness. Jesus came, totally ill-equipped, but he said, look, what I do have, nobody takes my life from me. I give my life on behalf of everybody else. David strode into that valley of death. Jesus strode into that valley of death. David was banished, alone, and rejected, not champion material. Neither was Jesus. Jesus was banished, beaten, spat upon, torn apart. Jesus' weakness was why he won. Jesus went to the cross. 
David's weakness, if you actually think it through, was why he's won. The same uh, historian said this, David does not win in spite of his weakness. He wins through his weakness. He wins because of his weakness. His reliance on God brought him through this. Jesus' weakness in death is why he won. Everybody else looked upon it as he has failed. He's dead. But actually, Jesus beat death itself. David is a substitute. He is the savior. He is a champion. And so is Jesus. To all those who are real equipped and afraid on the hill, he's our savior. He's our champion. He's our hero. Let's be the Israelites. There's no shame in recognizing. And even saying that they were afraid is revolting to some of you because everything inside of you has been wired and educated. You know, no, you are strong. You are powerful. You can do this. Can I tell you, friends, life tells us we're not. So let's just accept that actually we need this Savior and there's no weakness in that. Because the second that Jesus won on the cross, we chase after him and say, we become like Jesus. You see, David is fighting for them. He is their substitute. Jesus is fought for us. He is our savior, our hero, our champion, and our savior. Jesus faced the ultimate challenge on the cross. The worst experience, the separation from the Father himself, the curse of sin. He took everything that I've experienced, everything I have done, everything I have thought, everything that's been done to me, everything that's done, that I've done. He took all that, everything that I deserve, and it died with him on the cross. And he took it away. And he rose again in complete victory because death itself couldn't hold him. And so, friends, as you consider, are you Goliath for most of the time in your life? Are you the religious Goliath? Just only like I can do it, but with religion, that side of David that we need to be careful of? Or are we actually the Israelites saying, I'm fully reliant on Jesus, my champion, the one who will fight the fight for me? Because that gives us tremendous hope. It gives us victory and it gives us freedom. Are there things that we can learn about David? Because remember, David was a man after God's own heart. So there's a lot of imagery around David and Jesus that is beautiful. But if you just take it, okay, I'm just going to take the human side and I'm going to do what David did, you will fail. See, David saved his people at the risk of his life. Jesus saved his people for all those that believe in him at the cost of his life. David went into the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus went right into death and emerged victorious and said, come follow me. So I'll finish as I started. What is your giant? What is your issue? What is your sin? What is your habit? What is your shame? What is your pain? What is it in your life right now that you look at and you can go, okay, I've got to figure this out. What if today, this morning, as we sing together uh, or as we finish together this morning, that, that we actually go, actually, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. That that first step of Jesus coming in and being your champion is that recognition that you aren't what the culture says you must be, which is everything. You can't. That's okay. 11 years ago when Sarah and I started leading at the South, we said a lot, it's okay not to be okay. Because that point is when you actually turn to the one who is your champion and your hero. If you could close your eyes for me, I just want to pray for you.
I just wonder how many of you this morning have got that giant, that challenge. Maybe you haven't. Maybe life's going great for you right now. Praise the Lord for that. But Jesus wanders into the camp of our lives. And he asks the questions just like David asked. And then he takes his place on our behalf for us to enjoy the victory. So all of you who are weary, heavy laden, tired, that you've come to the end of yourself, Jesus says this, I will be your hero. Fix your eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so Christian friends, I want to ask you, I want to pray for you. If you've forgotten who you are in this narrative and you're trying to fight this giant yourself, can you put your hand up? I want to pray for you. I'm putting my hand up. (laughs) Just by doing it, you're saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess, Lord, that I've been trying to fight this battle myself. And thank you, Lord, for the gifts and the strengths and the shiny stones you've given me to be able to do this. Lord, I'm just tired. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to make my way over to the valley. I'm going to sit, and I'm going to let you take the fight. And Lord, I pray for these good people who put their hands up, Lord, and for those who didn't. Lord, I pray that the peace that's beyond understanding will rush into their lives, that will guard their hearts and their minds, that your peace, Lord, and that, Father, as we likely will get up and brush ourselves off and head into the valley again at some point soon and take the fight on again, that, Lord, you would remind us this isn't your fight. The victory's already won. I did it. Enjoy it. Follow me. And Lord, I pray there just be a lifting of any condemnation or shame and guilt that these people might be feeling because somehow they're thinking they're not doing things right. Lord, I pray that we would fix our attention upon you. Hallelujah. I want to ask if there's anyone I can pray for who has yet to come into a living relationship with Jesus. That you're trying to fight life with all the secular skills that you have. It's just not working. You're continuing to evade God and the call that God has on your life. If I can pray for you this morning, I'd love to do that. And you can fill out a connect card. You can click the QR code and we'd love to get in touch with you and chat with you more but I want to pray for you right now if you need to you know that you've just you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you need a champion and his name is Jesus can you put your hand up I want to pray for you is there anyone this morning thank you thank you
Lord, I pray for those who just put their hand up. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just flood their hearts with the knowledge of you. That Holy Spirit, you would do only that which you can do. Which is draw us to yourself. To bring forgiveness. And that Lord, that we would just ask that forgiveness. Even in the next few minutes as we, as we sing together. These people, Lord, will just... Listen to your voice, hear your call, and sit under the joy of knowing that they don't have to fight anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.